0: We're glad you're here this morning, and uh, we're going to try to present a study that hopefully will be interesting to you. Uh, I wouldn't suggest that I've probably got anything that's brand new to anybody, but hopefully I can uh, put some things in remembrance for you and help you as in your Christian walk. Uh, we want to look at the subject of stumbling block or stumbling blocks, however that would be and uh, Jerry came up for services and he looked at that and he said, oh that would that looks like that could hurt and you know the idea of a stumbling block is that it's you're you're rolling along and things are smooth sailing like it would be on the rest of the 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 bricks around that, but you hit that one, and that one trips you up. Everything else would have been fine, but the one was a real problem. And so uh, I want to look at that for a minute and start with a story, um, a stumbling block that I ran into, unrelated to religion, but. Uh, few years ago, Connie and I upgraded to a different phone, and uh, about a year later, um, I charged my phone on the nightstand, and one night I picked it up after I had connected the cable, and it slipped off, and it, it just came off and hit the ground, the floor, it's just carpet, so it didn't hurt it, but I noticed about a week or a month later that just wasn't charging right. You know, I'd put it on there and then I'd wake up the next morning and it said like 48%. It's not charging right. What's going on? And so um, I noticed it became harder and harder to get a good connection. So I'm thinking, all right, let's do some research. So I get on the Internet, I Google it and I figure out, okay, how can you change that little deal in the bottom? You know, this piece here, maybe you can change it out. And so I did some research on that and figured out it was pretty extensive. You're going to have to really kind of take the phone apart. And I thought, you know, the chances of me doing that and getting back together are probably about as good as me splitting an atom with a shovel. So that's that's probably not the best way to go. So I took it to a guy at the shop. I, I had my boss said, hey, here's somebody that I've taken my phone to. And they're really good and they're, they're reasonably priced and. So I took it to them and I I told I gave him the whole story. Here's kind of what happened. And I handed it to him and he took it around the corner. And I hear. Pfft, pfft. And he's over there a minute and he comes back and he hands me the my phone. And he said, there was just some lint in it. How dare he? I told him this whole story of the problem with my phone. But he completely ignored all of that. And he went over there and he fixed my phone. So the point is is that sometimes you get something in your head of what the problem is, but that ain't it. And you can't get past that. So I kind of come up with this idea that a lot of times in life, it's not what you don't know that is your problem instead it's what you think you already know but you're wrong about it and you're and that's one of the assumptions under which you are behaving and that's causing you to stumble there was an example similarly in, in the in the book of 1 Kings there was a man of God and this was at a time in Israel where the kingdom had just divided. And so there was the ten tribes that went to the north and remembered eventually they were destroyed and scattered about by the Assyrians and uh, became part of the people eventually known and hated by the Jews, known as Samaritans. But so at this time, they went to... This prophet was dispatched by God to Bethel. And he said, go up there and they've got an altar that they're worshiping false gods. I want you to go up there and teach them to, to... They've got a to stop that, that that's not, that's not right. And to shut that altar down. And he told him, he said, you're to go up there. You're not to eat any food while you're up there. You're not to drink any water when you're up there and you're not to come back by the same way you came. Now, why was that God's instructions? I don't know, but that was God's instructions. So he goes up there and while he's up there, the king, he impresses with the, the king with, a, with an act of, that he does there at the altar. And the king says, come with me. And he says, I can't do that. God's told me I've got to go back home. And I've got to go a different way. I can't eat. I can't drink. And he, so he just basically retells the story. Well, there was an old prophet there in that community that heard about this young prophet. And he had to go see him. So he went to see him and he said... Hey, come have supper with me. And the young prophet said, I can't eat and I can't drink and i got to go back a different way. Just retell what God had told him to do. But the old prophet said this. He said, But I too am a prophet as you are. An angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord saying, Bring him back with you to your house that he may eat and drink water. But he lied. So, the young prophet, this man of God, he went back with him and he ate bread and he, in his house and he drank water. And so, what was the end result of that? See, it wasn't what he didn't know. It's what he now thought he knew, but was wrong. He took the the supposition was that this guy was telling the truth and that ended up being wrong. And we found that his body was... He killed in the, in the road by a lion. God had him killed because of his disobedience. God spe- specifically told him what to do, and he relied on somebody else. And in thinking about that, I think about the children of Israel. And we all know that the Jews, as a nation of people, rejected Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to think about them for a minute. The Jews had a proud history. They were God's chosen people. These people here at the time of Christ heard about the deliverance from from Egypt. They had heard all the stories of how God had intervened, how God had given them the promised land, how He had blessed them in all these different ways. Access to God was about being a Jew. And so if that's your mindset... Can you understand why it would be so difficult for you to get past that? And that become, as the Apostle Paul describes here, as their stumbling block. That they could not get past what they already knew to understand that what was really pretty simple. You know, the Gentiles, uh, in large part, accepted Christ. and, And there were many that were converted. And there were even many that recognized that a lot of their old ways had to be done away with. And they would... Uh, in one case they put a bunch of books together and they burn them and and they counted the cost of those things was like 50,000 pieces of silver and they did that because they knew that what they were accepting in Jesus Christ was not compatible with the with the pagan ways of old but the Jews had a much more difficult time the entire book of Hebrews was written to the Jews and whether it be Paul or whoever the writer was, that book was written specifically to convince them that the law that they relied on so heavily, that what they knew was really a shadow to bring them into Christ. And so we find this passage in Hebrews chapter 10. He says, Therefore, brethren, by the boldness to enter, in, enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way which He has consecrated for us through the veil that is, that is His flesh. Now, that's pretty confusing to a Gentile. That's pretty, imagine yourself as a Greek, as someone that didn't know God through the Jewish dispensation of time, and you were to read that. wouldn't make a lot of sense. And I remember the first time that I looked at the book of Hebrews, I began to realize that I didn't know a whole lot and I was to really understand what they were saying, I was going to have to go back into the old law and get a good understanding of the old law, or this wasn't going to make any sense to me. And so, really, this is built on this idea of the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was simply a model of... Now, the Jews didn't know that, they didn't understand it, but it was a model of Christ in every way. The, the, this area right here, that's called the holy place. And the holy place, the, the tabernacle itself was divided into two parts. The holy place where the priest would do daily things. So they, the priests were in and out of there daily with sacrifices and, and certain rituals that they performed in that place. And in that place, there were three main articles of, of furniture. There was this, can you see the candlestick? the menorah or the candlestick that actually provided light to the place. So the, you had the menorah, which is symbolic to the Christian, is the word of God. And then across from the menorah, and you can't really see that very well because it's blocked by it, was a, was a table. And that was the table of showbread, and that was that's symbolic of fellowship. And then finally... This area right here, this, this thing right here is called the altar of incense. And it's the closest to the presence of God. You see, because as you go to the other side, you go across that veil or that curtain, you go into this area here that was the most holy place. And in there was the Ark of the Covenant. And there was a lid on the Ark of the Covenant... And it was called the Mercy Seat. Now, that's an odd name for a cover, isn't it? But the reason it was called the Mercy Seat is because that's where God's glory reigned with Israel. That's where he was. That's where his presence was with with Israel. And there was a a bright light that you could see uh, as the children of Israel encamped around this thing. You could actually see God's presence there. And that was its, that's where it stayed right there at that mercy seat. And so the high priest, the high priest had to go into the into the holiest of all one time a year for the sins of all the people. Now they, could, they did sacrifices daily, but at the end of the year there was a remembrance of those sins and they had to and the high priest had to go back in. And I'll promise you that no high priest went in with boldness. None. Because you were going into the very presence of God, and you were, at one point, he was in there naked, no clothes. In the presence of God. And there were some warnings in there that, like, don't do this, lest ye die. So this was very serious. There was no boldness to these high priests, and so here, the Hebrew writer is saying that we have a high priest in Jesus that through boldness, by his own blood, can go into that place. Jesus was uh, three parts. Jesus was the sacrifice. Jesus was the veil. His, as it says here in the, the latter part of this verse... Uh, through the veil jesus represented the veil and jesus was also the one who carried the sacrifice so three parts and so that idea was extremely difficult for the jews to understand i know i've given you a crash course on that and if you haven't really looked at it much in the past it's probably kind of difficult to digest right now but that was the idea of it and so if you, ha- if you knew Jewish history, if you knew anything about the old law, this would make great sense to you, or it, it, it seems that it would. But we find that, and this is in Colossian, uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 3, it says, Unlike Moses who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadfastly at the end of what was passing away. What was passing away was that old law. So Moses, when he came down from the mountain to give them that law, his face was shining because he'd been in the presence of God. And he put a veil over his face so that the Jews, so that the children of Israel couldn't see him because they couldn't look upon it; It was just too bright. What, what the Apostle Paul is writing here is saying to Christians is that we need to speak it boldly and plainly, not like Moses who had to put a veil over his face. The gospel was easy to understand. It was easy, unlike the old law. He says, But their minds, speaking of the Jews, were blinded, for until this day, the same veil, that covering, that, that obscuring, if you will, remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament. Even though the Old Testament tells of Jesus... If you don't interpret it just like me with my phone, I wasn't interpreting the evidence right. I mean, it seemed only logical that since it had fallen off the, the nightstand, it would have done some damage to the, but it didn't. So I had read it wrong. Well, that's what happens with the Jews. And so that veil, um, he says, but their minds were blinded until the day, for until this day, the same veil remains. Unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. And if you stumble at that stone, then you can't move any farther. Think about the special provisions that they have. Jesus came as a Jew, Jesus' ministry was first to the Jews, the gospel was preached. the Jews first God designed the old law as a picture of the new law and God used prophecies related to Jewish history to prove that he was the Messiah and yet through all of that they rejected him because they couldn't get past their own mindset so they hung him to the cross, and as a nation, rejected him, did not accept him. And so Paul describes that, that as their stumbling block. Well, let's move, fa- let's fast forward to modern times. Because, you know, if it just affected the Jews, I'm not sure we'd need to spend any time on it. Truth is, stumbling blocks can affect us as well. And you find this passage in Proverbs chapter 12. It says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. Now think about that for a minute. And we've all been there, haven't we? That our own perception of things... You ever thought, you ever look back in time, and I know some of you maybe are younger, it's difficult to do, but if you're older, you can probably look back to a time five or ten years before, or twenty years before, and you can think, Why did I think that? That was stupid. Well, but the way of a fool seems right in his own sight. One thing we're all great at doing, we're great at self-justifying. We're great at feeling like, you know, we're doing the right thing. I assume that if we didn't think it was the right thing, we'd probably stop doing it. But the truth is is that there are a lot of times that, that we're not doing the right thing. And so he says, but he who heeds counsel is wise. In other words, if you listen to someone else who has wisdom and you will accept that, then that can help you to get past some things that might be stumbling blocks before you. And here's what I call the tool of self-justification. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says this, but they, and he's speaking about those that would undermine his ministry because there were a lot of people that would, uh, because of jealousy, would try to speak against Paul to the church. And so he says, but they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. You ever got some satisfaction from looking at somebody else and going, hmm? At least I'm not as bad as that guy. It's easy to do, isn't it? And you probably, in your workplace or school or whatever you have, you probably hear some situations where people are complaining about other people, about the way they're, they're carrying on their work, or about the way they're living, or about something. You think about it, it's pretty pretty common in... in uh, just that's a, that's a human nature to do that. And much of it is centered around this idea of self-justification. I can feel good about me because I'm not as bad as that guy. And, you know, if you think about it, if you get to set the rules, you'll always win. If I can set the rules by which we are compared, I'll always win. If you can set the rules by which you're compared to me, you will always win. Because... It's, it's just, you can set it up that way so that in any, any type of comparison, that would work out. So he says that we're fools when we compare ourselves amongst ourselves and with ourselves. Because ultimately, the standard is not you and not me. You can find fault in me. And so that might make you feel better about yourself, but your, but your true comparison is with what? It's with the real standard, and that is with Jesus Christ, our Savior. And by that standard, we all recognize that we never win, that we can never compare favorably. Okay, Um, so just real quickly, a couple of beliefs that we have today in the the Christian world that, uh, that are erroneous. Number one, belief alone is enough. That'll save me. All I have to do, check the box, I believe, move on. Well, clearly he teaches, uh, the question that James poses is, can faith save a man that um, without works? Do you have to have works? And James says it this way, that faith without works is dead being alone. He, he says that, he teaches us that. And so what's dangerous about this belief is that if I really accept that and believe that, then I'm just going to check the box... And I'm going to live any way I want. And Christ is going to have zero impact on how I live, how I walk, how I talk, how I conduct business with people, my level of honesty, because I believe. So I just think, well, I can do whatever I want. The opposite is equally dangerous. I earn my salvation. God owes it to me. Well, that's not any more correct than the first one. Because by grace, you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. Now, some people see those two things. I heard one time a a TV preacher saying that that, uh, Paul and James argued that this this was proof that they argued. They didn't agree about that. But they're both true. That... I have to have grace because I'm sin. I I can't fix that. But once I accept Christ and I believe in Him, if I truly believe and I believe that He died for my sins, isn't that going to change the way I behave? If it's not, if it doesn't, do I really believe? So you see, both of these things are true and yet... uh, people tend to want to pick one or the other extreme, and that's just not consistent with, with the teaching of the Scriptures. So we all know this passage here about uh, being doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. Uh, if, you're, if you're a hearer of the Word and not a doer, you're like a man that looks in a mirror and you walk away and you forget what you looked like. But if you do, if you do, then you have a chance because you're reinforcing what you've learned and i would submit to you that it takes a lot of practice that being a christian takes a lot of practice that today in the church we have to be aware we have to be self-aware of our own potential blind spots our own potential uh, uh, stumbling blocks if you will that uh, there's areas in our life that we need to examine. And the only way we can do that is we have to read God's word. Then we have to go out and try to execute and then be honest with ourselves. And by the way, I think that being honest with yourself is probably the most difficult person to be honest with. Because you don't want to really admit to yourself that you might be in the wrong. It's hard. It's hard. And yet, pride. so pride stands in our way. But God has called us to do that. He says that but he that looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it not a forgetful hearer of the word but being a doer uh, you'll be blessed in your deeds. So this morning I want to encourage you as as a Christian to to examine yourself to think about your life and what are the things what are the things that you can't see? Maybe someone can help you with that. You know, talking to a friend or having an accountability partner or or having someone that you can be very honest with and can be very honest with you. Those relationships are extremely valuable. But looking at the Word, trying to execute it, recognizing and being honest enough to say, I failed and coming back and re-examining the Word and applying it to my life and messing up again and going back and trying again we can, by this process, continue to improve and smooth out some of those stumbling blocks that throw us off our course so many times. Let's not be like the Jew that, that, was, that couldn't see past Jesus Christ as, as the barrier between, to them and God. So this morning, if we can help you in any way, we are going to offer a song, song of invitation. If, if you need the prayers of the church or if someone has been sufficiently taught and needs to be assisted in baptism, then we would ask you to come forward as we stand and sing the song that's been selected.